you mute my mic? It's on now. I can hear myself now, Logan. Logan, I'm sorry for keeping you waiting. It's been 10,000 years since we recorded the episode. <laughs> Two hours. Two hours. Same thing. 10,000 years in Bitcoin time. 399. 399. Rip 399. I sat down with some good friends of mine I've been working with for quite some time in the mining industry, Reed Browning and Isaac Fithian. Two killers that not many people know about. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one, especially if you're in the mining industry, if you're looking for some alpha on running mining operations. We just leaked a lot of it. Did any of the alpha get on you, Logan? It, it, it evaporated in the two hours it took for the episode. So yeah, the alpha has evaporated into Logan's skin. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at River. River is a Bitcoin company built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. This is personified, not personified. It's implemented in their product stack. They have an exchange. Buy Bitcoin. If you DCA into Bitcoin using River, you're not going to pay any fees. Uh, if you custody Bitcoin on River, you can have certainty or peace of mind knowing that your Bitcoin is in a multi-sig wallet with 100% reserves backing it. River doesn't leverage any third parties uh, to, to buy Bitcoin for them. They've, they've built their own infrastructure. They've built their own wallets. They've built their own libraries. They've built their own lightning nodes. You can uh, send and receive Bitcoin over Lightning on River. They have Lightning Service, uh, River Lightning Services, excuse me, which is an API that allows you to build apps on the Lightning Network. If you're a developer, they have mining capabilities. You want to buy an ASIC and plug it in with a hosting contract, River setting that up for you. What else do I have to mention? Yeah. It's a Bitcoin company built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They're at the cutting edge of Bitcoin technology, always have been. And this is because they're an old, a Bitcoin-only company with focus on Bitcoin. Allows them to do all the cool things that you want them to do. You may have your exchange already, but have you tried River? Give it a try. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Use the referral code. And after you buy certain amounts of Bitcoin, you will get some free Bitcoin. I don't know if I'm allowed to say free Bitcoin. You'll get some Bitcoin. Bitcoin river.com slash tftc this trip was brought to you by our good friends at unchained capital as well they're right down the hall and they're here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model with their vault product is two or three multi-sig wallet where you hold two keys unchained holds one they have a consultation team that'll get you set up if you get unchained.com slash consultation set up a call with them they'll get you set up they'll get you comfortable they're really leaning into retirement right now if you're a bitcoiner out there just thinking, oh, gosh, what am I going to do with my Bitcoin if when I die or when I retire? Inheritance, not retirement. Why am I saying when you retire to the afterlife, also known as inheritance? They have an inheritance protocol uh, that they built out for you. If you reach out to their consultation team, they can teach you about this inheritance protocol, too. It's something to think about sooner rather than later. You don't want to be the Bitcoiner that unfortunately passes away. And your family doesn't know how to access your keys. Unchained has created a product and a protocol for you to solve that problem. So reach out to them, unchained.com slash consultation. A lot of retirement plans. It's a retirement to the afterlife plan. That's what we're going to go with. This trip was also 
Brought to you by our good friends at Crowd Health. They're here to help you reimagine how you pay for your health care. It's not health insurance. Health insurance is notoriously opaque, expensive, impersonal. They don't really care about you. It's really hard to get in touch with people. Crowd Health is doing it a different way. It's not health insurance. You pay a monthly fee that gets built up in a dedicated account. If you ever have a health event, uh, you get your bill, you give it to Crowd Health, they negotiate your prices lower with the doctor. The doctor is willing to do this because they get paid in cash right away. Uh, you put your bill out to the Crowd Health community. You pay the first $500 and the rest gets crowdfunded by that community. 100% of the bills have been paid to date. Can't guarantee that moving forward, but the model seems to be working. And on top of that, you're joining a community of healthy individuals. So the overall healthcare cost of the community is lower. There are some... Uh, there are some metrics you have to hit to get into the community. You have to be relatively healthy. The BMI of the crowd health community is significantly lower than the national average. So if you want to reimagine healthcare, pay cheaper rates. I was on Cobra on crowd health now paying an obscene. I was paying an obscene amount on Cobra. It is significantly cheaper with crowd health. I'm extremely happy with it. Go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Sign up using that code. TFTC, just plug it in. Uh, last but not least, this rip was brought to you by Bitcoin Talent Co. Bitcoin Talent Co. is here to solve a problem in the space, which is the jobs market, connecting the talent that understands Bitcoin with the companies that are looking for that talent. There are many Bitcoiners out there, many of you, I'm sure, who are listening, who uh, work in incumbent tech firms uh, on Wall Street, in the banking industry, and you love Bitcoin, you've been around it for a while, but you don't really... Uh, know anybody in the industry, but you, you know that you could provide value to the industry. Go to bitcointalent.co, connect with the Bitcoin Talent Co team because um, they are here to, to provide that bridge for you to the Bitcoin industry. Likewise, if you're a company looking for this type of talent, reach out to Bitcoin Talent Co as well. They are going to create a, a service that really fine tunes for your needs. They're going to help get potential uh, talent up to speed with what your company does, exactly what you're looking for, whether or not they're a good fit. Uh, they're going to work with you to fill your needs at the talent layer. Layer. We'll just go with layer. Use, uh, go to bitcointalent.co. If you're talent looking to get a job, put in your resume. If you're a company looking to find talent, uh, put in your information. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Enjoy this rip with Reet and Isaac. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Bring and Isaac, we're live. Sweet. Is this your first podcast? Second. It is. Yes. Well, I I, I do some. Uh, some podcasts on the side with friends that we uh, we it's called the disagreeables and we uh, sort of uh, disagree well is sort of the uh, play on words there. Yeah. 
but other than that, yes, nothing, hmm. nothing formal, nothing Bitcoin specific. So this will be my first Bitcoin podcast. Rena, I, I can recall one you did with Tom a few years ago. Oh, dude, that that was a a while ago, and I've taken a hiatus ever since. But you know, it's been a while. <laughs> it has been. I'm happy to bring you out of the hiatus to bring you away from disagreeables to TFTC, Isaac. Oh, love it. Freaks, how to preface this. I mean, obviously, if you've been listening to the show a while, you know that I've been involved in mining. Oh, yeah. Um, not you two. I'm talking to the audience right now. Uh, they know I've been into mining, but I'm really uh, the ugly face in front of the mining operation and everything I've been involved with with in the mining space, whether it be Great American Mining or Cathedra and some side projects. Uh, these two gentlemen that I'm speaking with today are the brains behind the operation, actually plugging in the machines, setting up the management systems, really designing a process and farm management and what else? Logistics to make everything work. I think you guys are two of the unvaulted, unvaunted individuals in the space who have done a lot of work that many people don't uh, really know about yet. So I'm excited to get you guys on to highlight what you've done because you guys have done some incredible stuff. I think we should start with Great American Mining, REIT particularly, like talking about that first pilot container that we had up in Utah. Oh, yeah. The ugly yeah, one. Yeah, you could barely call it a container, uh, but but yes, it did mine some Bitcoin, so <laughs> so it had that going for it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, Reet and I we met back in uh, 2018. We were working on a hydrogen project together. This was before Great American Mining. Uh, it was like a pure R and D phase, and you know we reached a point in 2018. I mean, this is the depths of the bear market when uh, you know we were trying to integrate mining tech with this, this hydrogen tech and it ended up, uh, you know, just not working out. We, we decided to move in a different direction. So we're, we're demobbing this, this site, pulling out the miners that we were using. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, the dragon mint T ones is what we had on site. So, um, RIP, uh, anyone who bought dragon mint T ones. Um, but yeah, basically we're pulling all these miners out and putting them into storage and I was just like, gosh, I wish there was something we could do with these things. And so you know, I was chatting about it with Reet. And, you know, he uh, he was driving home one day, looked at this giant flare uh, out in Utah. He's like, wait a minute, there's a bunch of energy there. Maybe that we could do something with this. And so this is before, um, before Reet and I were formally working together. We were from two different companies working on this R&D project. And so um, I, I went to... Um, you know, my, my boss and was like, Hey, look, I think we can do this. He's like, all right, look, I put a bunch of money into this. It hasn't worked out. Uh, you know, I mean, Dragon Mint T1s. I mean, come on, I can't blame him. And he's like, all right, look guys, I'll, I'll let you do this crazy thing. I've never heard of anything like this. You got five weeks and you still have to demob the site. And so Reed's like, how the heck are we going to get gas in five weeks? Like, like this is just a just crazy task. We got it in three days. Uh, you know, it's like, Reed, look, you're our guy. You know, if anybody's 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was all REIT. I had nothing to do with that. And so he's like, he calls up <laughs> his buddy at a um, wastewater um, or a water processing facility, you know, from the produced water that, that comes up when you're um, pumping oil. He's like, hey, you know, can you uh, just give us some of this this gas that's entrained in your water that's coming in? He's like, oh, it sounds crazy. I, I guess we'll, we'll try it out. And so uh, he was like, all right, sweet. We got a place to do it. Now we just got to go. So like literally in the morning, we'd go to this site, this R&D place. I would be taking out miners, you know, electrical panels, wire, you know, we're taking apart the site, right? I'd be taking stuff out, loading up, carrying it over to, and uh, oh, this is the other bit. Reet had a buddy out there and he's like, hey, can you just give us a, a, a patch on this gravel driveway uh, that you've got just so we can just, you know, build this mining thing. He's like, uh, I, I guess, sure. And so literally I'd load up in the morning, take the, the parts over to his friend's driveway and we would like unload it and start, you know, and we'd be, we'd be building. We had a, like a hand crank generator for power. There's no internet. So yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of the origin. That was the genesis. Yeah. <laughs> and, and every now and then Reed would look at me like, this is this is crazy. Like like, why are we even doing this? I'm like, look, it's just like uh, it's like like the the first Iron Man movie. We're in the cave. We got a box of scraps, and we it doesn't need to be pretty. It just needs to get us out of the cave, and then we can build better stuff. Yeah. And we did it did it in five weeks, and it was enough to justify building a second one, one that we actually had a budget for. We weren't just using spare parts, and um, yeah, that turned into Great American Mining. <laughs> yep that is a great american mining origin story freaks Reed, what were some of like yeah. what were some of the main lessons we learned on that first proof of concept deployment well if you think mining is sexy it's not it's hard <laughs> you get bloody knuckles you get everything else and you don't know where you don't know what questions to ask if you haven't done it before. Um, because all the iterations that we went through on those containers, like the second one was our air intakes on the first one were like that big. Then the second one, it was the entire wall, you know, then bigger fans, bigger, you know, just everything got scaled up uh, because we found problems in airflow. And then we realized that the first Christmas tree design was a horrible one because it took three hours to change out the filters. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a different orientation took 10 minutes. So everything was, you know, you, you can put everything on, on paper and it's, it's going to look okay. But when it comes down to actual functionality, it's like, you have to have user experience. You have to have, um, you know, the right engineering that goes into it. You have to have, um, especially if it's going in remote sites, functionality that you can do from your couch, right? And all that has to layer on top of each other. Yeah, and so and that comes from experience. Yeah, and to that My, point, <laughs> I was going to yeah. say to that point, doing stuff from your couch that that includes building remote systems that allow you to, to tap yeah. into the, the site and control fans, control um, the, the airflow walls, 
Like if it's cold, mm -hmm. that Christmas tree design, maybe it was hard to change the filters. It did keep snow out, correct? Yep. Uh, yeah. Sort after two or three, uh, two or three repairs, yes, it did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, like yeah, I mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Get. Yeah. Um, I. I mean, really, what one of the things that that I've sort of come to is you can solve these problems with one of two ways. You can do it with people, or you can do it with technology. So you know, in, in general, you can think of. Uh, as my, you can think of mining facilities as falling into largely one of two camps. Either you have a campus-style uh, Bitcoin mining center where you've got, you know, everything is in one central location. You have, you know, big beefy power lines bringing in power site, or you know, it's a, you've got one, you know, sort of hut where you know people camp out. You, you can do your repairs out of there, and you're, you know, something goes wrong, you send a guy down to whatever aisle it is and they go and fix it. Uh, then you have sort of these more remote uh, style builds and that, that's what we were doing at Great American Mining. You know, you've got a pad uh, two hours away from, from the nearest airport and if you got to go out and do maintenance on that, it, it, it's tough to get out to. And so we, we had to have, you know, command and control systems where you could adjust the temperature. Um, I mean, the very first builds we did, nothing was automated. We, we hadn't figured that out yet. And, uh, you know, uh, props to Austin on that. He did a really great job taking uh, some of those long nights that, that we did at first and, uh, you know, automating mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, this is how the miners work best. What are you guys doing? When? Let's automate that. So, um, you yeah. know, he did a great, great job, you know, really, really helping us, um, you know, scale up Great American Mining. And yeah, it, it was just, uh, you know, you're not going out to a site easily, so you need to have good information uh, so that you know what's broken if something breaks or, you know, what the problems are, because um, you got to figure that all out yeah. remotely. Because if you're driving out there, you've yeah. got to have the tools you need, the parts you need, you know, yeah. whatever it is before you're, you're going out there. It, it's really time intensive. So, you know, remote control and good information are key if you're going to yeah. have a distributed uh, style build. Yeah. yeah. So what would you guys, I mean, obviously upstream data was around Crusoe um, was around when we were building the first iterations of the great American mining boxes uh, and more and more players have come to market since then. You have Giga, a uh, bunch of other players that I can't even name off right now, but uh, what, yeah. what would you guys say is the state of the market of off-grid mining, particularly with these containerized systems and the control systems? Is it night and day from where we were in 2019, 2020, or are people still learning on the go here? Everybody has gotten better. I have to say, like, even gift props to Steve. Usually when I look at a design, I can say, okay, I know what he did and why he chose to do it that way, if it's a good design, right? Like it, everything is a trade-off. There's no such thing as a perfect design. It's saying, what are my hierarchy of needs? And, and they're clearly defined downwards. These remote boxes are not the cheapest boxes on the market. So, um, you know, right now cost for most people is at the highest point in, in their, their needs, like, oh, I can get a box cheap. 
but that doesn't mean that it's going to function remotely in the way that you want it to, or even in a campus style for that matter. So if cost is at the highest and you need to have more automation or you need to have more data, that's not going to be your cheapest option. So you're going to trade off, as Isaac said, the people component is going to be a bigger portion of your operating costs at that point. Yeah. And so what do you guys think is the, the Goldilocks perfect trade-off model for these off-site boxes or off-grid boxes? Excuse me. Well, perfect one? I mean, you have to have automation uh, like on off on the, the um, out each outlet, right? Like that's, that's number one, but you know, our new design has like PLCs, kind of lots and lots of variability with it. I think you can get away with kind of like microcontrollers and get something a lot more scaled down um, and still make it work. So, you know, cost is going to be how can you get the same amount of automation for the lowest cost and, and really hone in on all the data that you really need? And that's kind of where the, the step is right now saying, all right, how do I pare this down to what I need and what resources can I use? Because a lot of these boxes that, that especially like Steve, even digital shovel, they have heat recirculation for cold areas, right? Like that's, that's something that we've done since the beginning is like, we need to recirculate some of the heat if it's a super cold area and bring that into the intake so that we're not blasting the miners with like negative 20 degree, negative 40 degree air. So all the, the, all the manufacturers who kind of listen to their customers have said, okay, here are the problems that we've seen. And then they start adding on some of those, those functions. And that has, that has been very apparent over the past couple of years. Yeah. And you touch on a very good point there. Like not all off-grid mining is the same. Obviously, if you're mining in the Bakken up in North Dakota, yes. your your needs, your pressing needs are going to be different than if you're off-grid mining in yeah. West Texas. And how do yeah. you design a system for that? Yeah. It's really hard to make a one-size-fits-all system, um, period. Because in Texas, you're pro- your bare minimum, you're going to need to have like a water curtain and adiabatic cooling in North Dakota. You don't need that period, but you need a lot of heat recirculation. You need to have kind of environmental protection measures. The biggest thing, the biggest enemy is really dust for a lot of these miners as well. So environmental control, the minute you put in filters, you're going to have pressure drop. You're going to have uh, resistance to airflow. It, but you're protecting your investment. You're protecting your miners. So is it really worth it? Yeah, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, Reet brings up you know a, a spot on point, which is that you know every site is unique. You know, in particular, if you're doing uh, flared gas mining, you need to get a gas analysis. Sometimes you need to treat that gas. Uh, there's a, a litany of, of tiny details that come crawling out of the woodwork. Anytime you say, oh, I, I just want to mine here. It's like, okay, well, uh, you know, 
we would look at things like what's the prevailing wind direction you know what was the what i mean like we we, we would just uh, reach really good on that sort of thing what once we sort of identify hey we want to do this he just goes he's like an electron microscope he goes right down and we'll find the smallest of things that are he didn't know were important it's like oh wow i you know i didn't think about that uh yeah. you know you could uh you could call him an electron microscope or an ant fucker like uh, <laughs> there, there it is there it is <laughs> Yeah. What yep. is the ant fucker? Yeah. What is the definition of an ant fucker read in your mind? Well, let me put it this way. I don't consider myself an expert, but I definitely know what has caused me pain. And so <laughs> I, I would consider it as, all right, that's caused me a lot of grief. How do I fix that? And how do I bring that and make that next iteration better? So that that's why I would consider an ant fucker. It's yeah. like all the things that may, have kind of led up to this point of where you want to focus your energy because it has either caused you a late night or freezing cold temperatures or just time, really. Yeah, so the ants are the very small details. And so I guess what, what you're getting at is the very small details in these off-grid operations are very important. I mean, you know, one thing, for example, is when a gas well or the gas from a well becomes unstable, you don't want to have your gensets running at full tilt, right? So, you know, do we look at the generator and see, oh, is it going to shut down? Or do we, you look at the gas and the gas supply pressure? And so, like, kind of figuring out where you need to look on the the energy supply system that's where you can get a competitive uh, advantage because you need the containers or the miners or the load on the containers to pare down shut off and go into self-protection mode because if they don't and you don't have eyes on it you know, we've seen the the horror stories of, of you know, caked on snow into machines because the door wasn't closed. You know, you don't want that. A very small and actionable detail that everybody should close your fucking doors, people. <laughs> the snow or the dust getting in. Yeah. But no, I mean, you touch on something else there. Like, we've, we've been talking predominantly about like working within the box and the, the whole mining operation. But you mentioned the whole other side of that, which is the power generation gen sets, which is like a whole other Pandora's box of problems and intricacies to work through. Yeah. Your primary yeah, goal I mean, is to keep the gen set up and running. Mining is actually your tertiary thing. So you want to make sure you have gas, your gen set stay up, and then your miners are on, right? Because without that cascading sequence, you're not mining. Right. Uh, the big thing is, you know, if you don't think about how these systems integrate with one another, you're going to pay for your, your lack of knowledge or lack of planning with downtime. I mean, you need to have an understanding of how is this well working? How do the generators work? How does that all tie into the container? Uh, it, it all matters, right? And 
you know, for instance, if you turn miners on too quickly on an off off-grid site, uh, you can, you know, basically cause the generator to suck down gas faster than the pipeline can sometimes provide it. And then you, your whole site gets shut down and then you're sending technicians out there to get things back up and running again. It, it becomes a mess pretty quick. And so you can automate some of these things, but, uh, you know, really since each site is sort of unique in terms of the systems you're tying into, you need to do an analysis of, well, how does this system work now? And is our current build a good fit? And going back to your, your question about, you know, hey, what's the sort of the Goldilocks zone? I, I think probably – so in general, I think the space is still developing a lot. I don't know that any anyone has sort of cracked the code of, hey, this is a one-size-fits-all build. And part of that is there's a litany of little details you have to think about. I, I think probably what will end up happening if I was sort of, a, you know, try and pull out my crystal ball and, and uh, say, hey, I think this will happen – I think you'll probably see some sort of a, a base model that, that suits uh, most needs, and it will be built in such a way that you can easily have these bolt-on solutions. So, you know, regardless, uh, you know, you have to have a rack that the miner sits on. Yeah. You have to have wires that bring power to that miner. Yeah. There are certain things that don't change too much, and it, I, I can see a world where people – you know, where somebody figures out, hey, this is the base model. This is the bare bones, what we need, uh, you know, in, in most markets. And here are these simple add-ons. You, you can quantify exactly how much they'll cost and say, okay, if we're going to go down to West Texas, here's, uh, you know, here, here's a water curtain or, you know, a water mister bolt on, uh, you know, with maybe, you know, some kind of water collection on the roof or, or something, right? And then you go up to, to North Dakota and all of a sudden, you know, heat recirculation becomes comes more important. So you sort of create these different bolt-on, uh, you know, technologies, um, you know, and, and, yeah. and also, you know, in terms of, you know, remote control of, of power cycling, I, I think the industry is going to head toward, okay, here's your, you know, th think about like, you know, an ant box where it's just, you know, bare bones, basic electrical, okay, well, let's get something that would allow us to do automation as a, as a bolt-on technology. So if you don't need automation because you're in a campus style, you always have, have it staffed, you don't need it. But then if you want to do a remote deployment, here's this bolt-on package. You can just add it to an existing container, and then you're off to the races. I, I think that's where we'll head. Making all of that work well is is a really challenging task because there's so much going on that it's not as simple as you might think once you actually start getting into the details of it. But I, I think that's where we'll end up heading. Yeah, so the uh, the market for purchasing containers is going to be similar to the market for buying a car, where you decide what what gadgets and upgrades you want. Right. <laughs> I, I think exactly. So. Yeah. Walk into the dealership. So to speak. What does it feel like for you two to be on the cutting edge of this budding industry, like tinkering with this stuff? Some of the first two individuals. I mean, I, I imagine the population of people working on the particular problems that you guys have worked on is relatively small. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it, it was it was nuts. I mean, there were no YouTube yeah. videos uh, about th this stuff. It was just like, okay, you know, here's this sort of electrical video on YouTube that sort of says something about what we need. Uh, you know, looking up articles on HVAC. Um, you know, 
those thermodynamics, uh, you know, textbooks from from way back when. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was pretty crazy because there weren't like good resources. It was just Reet and I. You know, sometimes we, we felt like uh, you know, Dumb and Dumber. I, I'm telling you, like, because <laughs> we're just sitting there, like, I don't know if this is crazy or if maybe this will work. And and we just had to try it to find out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but it was but it was always a case of look, we just need to make enough right decisions. And, you know, part of that is just staying really humble. And, you know, just w when you're in the thick of it, when you're you're in the pain, say, OK, you know, reality is going to tell me uh, what it what it needs to, to make this work. And I just yeah. need to listen and, and stay humble and, and just yeah. work hard. Uh, yeah. You know, sweat, sweat equity will go a long way if you're willing to stay humble. And I, I think a lot of a lot of other miners, uh, a lot of other people in the space, they're in that process. And, you know, people are putting in the sweat equity and, you know, they're going to they're going to make it. Um, it could, I mean, that's what we had to do. It was just work hard, stay humble and and, uh, you know, be alert. You know, the information's yeah. all over the place if you know where to look. Yeah. Listening to what what the data is showing you. So you you have to kind of overbuild to gather that data and kind of. I mean, we didn't know. I mean, one of the mistakes that I made was I sized the fans incorrectly because I didn't think about the expansion of air on the hot aisle by 11%, right? So my, uh, like the fans couldn't keep up. The, the hotter right. air expands in volume. And, you know, it's like, yep. I'm just not quite there yet. And, and so everything after that was, you know, had a, at least a 20 to 30% margin. So. Yeah. Right. It's crazy to think of, I mean, you guys mentioned it earlier. A lot of people think like, Oh, that's simple. You find a, a strand of gas. Well, you find a generator, you plug it in, it works, but this is again, a cutting edge engineering problem that a lot of people are trying to solve right now. Like when uh, that was like the most fascinating part about working in great American mining, um, working with you, Austin, Tom, now you guys yeah. continuing that at Cathedra. Like I've learned more about like physics, uh, petroleum engineering, uh, <laughs> electrical engineering You're telling me in the last five years than I ever would have expected. Like if you told me I would have learned this, uh, about this particular domain I would, when I was 21, I would have told you you're crazy, but that's what Bitcoin mining, particularly in this off-grid environment, forces you to do. But it's energy, yeah. right? Like it's, it, it's how do we get to energy? And, and that's really how I got into the Bitcoin space is like, there's such this beautiful relationship between energy and, and Bitcoins. I, I just see a lot of wastes that goes on in the energy space that it it's uh, as much as I hate saying is like Bitcoin fixes this, right? Like energy has this, this why waste it when you can use it for something? And mm -hmm. it's, it, it's not a scarcity thing. It's saying, how can we be more efficient in the way that we use it? And, and there's no better way. 
Well, at a fundamental level, uh, just just one of my overarching principles in thinking about this stuff is, you know, look at look at nature. You know, some of humanity's best inventions comes from from mimicking what what nature's doing. And uh, you know, what does what does nature do with energy? Uh, and if you look, every waste product of of an animal or a plant, any organism on this planet, any waste product is food for something else. That, that's just that's just how nature works at a fundamental level. And so you say, okay, what is Bitcoin food? It just you know, and it, it's very rudimentary, but at a fundamental first principle level, Bitcoin requires energy. You know, specifically electrical energy. And it's like, okay, well, I need electrical energy that doesn't, you know, just you know pop out naturally in in the world. So we need to find other energy forms, but. Still at that fundamental first principle level, you say, okay, where is there wasted energy? What, where is that the waste product? And and that's where Bitcoin can uh, industrial scale. You can do that with flare mining. At a, a very small scale, you can use Bitcoin miners to heat your home, right? Because that's something that you need anyway. Uh, and you know, I mean, in New England, we just burn oil in a in an oil burner for, to heat homes. You know, we don't have usually don't have gas hookups. You know, worst case, you have you know just there's literally people buying uh you know space heaters, just electrical space heaters, and I just prefer mine to be subsidized by Bitcoin. Uh, but you know, <laughs> but the point the, the the point is uh you know there's wasted energy all over the place. I mean, I just think about clothes dryers. You know, like just tumble dryers. Tumble dryers in the U.S. use more power than the Bitcoin network currently. I mean, what if you just dried all your clothes? With Bitcoin miners, just integrate the chips in, into a, a dryer. I mean, you know, anywhere you see just energy being expended for its own sake, Bitcoin can insert itself there. And that's it. Sort of gets at what we uh, our mantra at Cathedra. Hey, we we like to be the cockroaches with the cockroach model because there's all these little nooks and crannies where energy is being wasted, and and Bitcoin can thrive there. So it's just sort of the the ethos of it. Yeah. So we're not crazy to think that Bitcoin fixes this. Is Bitcoin going to make us as energy efficient as humanly possible? If we yes. put in the effort. Yeah, I, I mean the use of the use of energy is what allows humanity to thrive. And if you want humanity to thrive, it means you need more energy. Uh, I mean, people use heat for lots of different things, and that that's the primary waste product of of bitcoin so you know again that fundamental principle okay what's the waste product how can that be a primary input for another task and, and bitcoin can thrive there so um so yeah bitcoin yeah. fixes this gets me all bullish why don't people realize this yet <laughs> you know that's a good question because it's out of the norm it's out of the box i mean i've kept my hot tub warm all winter using waste heat from a miner just one i subfloor heating gets preheated by a bitcoin miner like do i pay for the electricity yeah well i also am experiencing you know zero degree weather so i need heat too yeah so i mean off-grid bitcoin flare gas mining is just another step removed from the electron it's just one step above that, so to speak. So it's just finding where the forms of energy that's useful and how to harness that 
It's a no-brainer. Yeah, it is a no-brainer. We uh, we have some asymmetric asymmetric information here, um, which brings us to the topic why I really brought you guys on. Right now, we've been focusing on like the actual design of a mining operation, um, but you guys go even deeper than that, and um, you've been doing a lot of research on underclocking and overclocking particular ASICs. Uh, I posted uh, a big thread from the Cathedra Twitter account a few weeks ago. They got hot, and a lot of people seemed to to love it. But I think to highlight the the breadth of knowledge that you guys have in this space, like we just described designing and architecting these environments in which the miners live, but then once the miners are plugged in and running and you have a stable environment, there's more that you can do at the machine level that you guys have been tinkering with. So yeah. uh, obviously you've been tinkering for years now. Um, what, what have you guys found? You know, the bear market gives you an incentive to change your perspective. I, I do have to say that. You know, everybody looks at a big, you know, when you say aftermarket firmware, everyone says automatically thinks overclock. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to push farther and farther and farther. It's not necessarily that. So, you know, and Isaac helped me kind of see this. When you start conventionally, when you say, hey, I'm making a container you are physically restricting the number of, and I call them parking spots, but rack space and saying, I have X many rack spaces for X many machines and I need to then size my electrical to that and say, okay, this is how much power this container is gonna use. But what if it was a flexible thing? So it was saying, I am restricted, what what you're saying is, I am restricted by my rack space. Well, right now, the dollar per terahash of machines is cheaper. I rather buy a second machine at a more efficient, and run it more efficiently, because that's going to increase my operating profit. Period. So the the way we were looking at and and sizing things physically was it's a static number. But what this aftermarket firmware has been able to do is that it's given us a knob, a a, a kind of a, a fourth dimension knob to say, well, what if it isn't? What, what if you had more rack space? If you already have it, then why not utilize it? especially if you're going to get more efficiency out of it. If you've already bought machines and just don't have enough power to plug it in, but you have rack space, why not utilize it? So it's, it, you know, in the cockroach mentality, how can I maximize all the assets that I have, whether that's power capacity, whether that's rack space, whether that's uh, a, you know, restricted by power cost, whatever it is, you just kind of look at all those variables and say, is it really something that's static? And it's, it shouldn't be. 
It's a yeah, long-winded I, way of saying it, but yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think uh, I often think in terms of you know uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and I, I find that that same kind of logic works in in systems. So if you uh, if you just treat somebody as a, as a vendor or uh, just say okay this is just the service you're going to give me this is how it is then that that's the end of it and you're just using that service as is but if you sort of get into uh, into their perspective you can unlock additional potential and it allows for creativity and hard work to flourish in a way that it wouldn't otherwise so uh, just to kind of give you an, an example, so uh, some of the, the generators that we would use, they normally provide 480 volt power. The Bitcoin miners, uh, for for I won't we'll get, uh, I'll spare you the details, but in, in most of these builds, you need 400, uh, 415 volt power delivered to the build. Um, you can either buy a big transformer, and, which has additional you know capital expenditure to transform that. Or if you know a thing or two about how the generator works, you can get around that. And so what you can do is you can reduce the stimulating voltage on the generator, and then it will output 415 volts with a certain D rate associated with the generator. So by paying attention to how that system works, that's not necessarily a system you'd think about, you can you know, save a bunch of money. And, and that same kind of concept trickles up and down the, the chain here. So when you think about, okay, a miner is plugging into a, a given set of infrastructure. Okay, well, how does that infrastructure actually work? How, how can we, you know, you know, fully integrate in, in a way that takes into account uh, all the little nuances? And, you know, it's just this, uh, this underclocking journey that Reet and I went on was born out of, uh, out of a problem that, that we had. So we had a bunch of pre-ordered S19J Pros that were delivered, and we're trying to get these things plugged in just as soon as possible. Well, we had have this legacy site out of Washington State. And, I mean, this thing is from back in 2013. It's a really old site. It was originally designed for S19s way back yeah, in the day. S9s. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. And, um, I, I, yeah, so you have tons of rack space, but the PDUs are relatively small for, you know, what you would – uh, you know, today consider a, a standard mine. So uh, basically, we were uh, when we got these S19s, we're putting them on the rack. The uh, stock power draw on an S19 is about 3,000 watts, and these PDUs were rated up to 5,760 watts. Two of them on, on a PDU. Right, and so we we start with just plugging one per PDU. It just seems like ridiculous, right? Because here's this PDU design. It's got eight plugs on it, you know, designed for up, you know, for for a bunch of S9s, and we can only fit one S19. It's just like this is ridiculous. And so then we sort of got clever and realized, okay, as long as all the phases match up, we can put one and a half miners, you know, uh, per per PDU. And yeah. so you'd split, you know, because the S19s have two plugs, so you could split one over two PDUs if it was on the same phase. And so then we got, you know, oh, 50% improvement, you know, but we still had a bunch of miners that we're trying to get a home for. And it's like, okay, we, ha we have to fix this. And I, was, and I um, was like, okay, what if we could underclock 
the minors a little bit, and then we could fit two minors of PDU. That would be much more efficient. And so we, we sort of started thinking in that way, and we were doing some, some testing. And it's like, hey, you know, we can do this. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, I'm between the two of us, uh, between Reet and I, I'm probably more of the cowboy. And so I just got to thinking, well, hey, wait a minute. What if we underclock them even more? What, what, if, what if we just stuffed three or even four on a PDU? And everyone on the team just like, Isaac, you're freaking nuts. Like, what are you talking about? But, yeah. You know, we could barely get one and a half, and you want to put four miners on a PDU? I'm like, yeah, I, I think we can try this. And, and this comes from, uh, you know, again, having an intuitive understanding uh, of the way this stuff works is really, really helpful. And a lot of that yeah. comes from pain, as, as Reet pointed out. So uh, uh, Brains had put out this really great uh, piece of research on, on how temperature can yeah. uh, affect the, the watt draw on, on an S19 model. And I was like, huh, okay. And, and, and at a fundamental level, that makes sense. So just to give you a, kind of a first principle uh, approach, you know, how I think about this, uh, I, I think of, of chips as these little cities and electrons are like the little cars driving around inside the city. Uh, you, you, you get to change volts and frequency. So frequency is, is how fast the stoplights turn red and green. Those are the logic gates. And the voltage is uh, the kind of engine you're putting on the electron. I know there's lots of other models. You can think about it as, you know, water pressure and, you know, how big your hose is. Lots of ways yeah. of thinking about it. But that, that's, this is the model that I, I sort of yeah. use. And it's like, okay, these chips are, are smaller. So now you have to start thinking about the quantum physics uh, of this because you're at a scale now where uh, electrons can quantum tunnel through the logic gates. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're getting to a point where you need to think about what, like what's happening, you know, at the electron level. And it's like, okay, well, what is temperature to an electron? So it, think about driving down the road in your car and somebody's shaking the road, like like an earthquake, back and forth and back and forth. That that's how an electron perceives heat because temperature is uh, vibration. Is it's vibration at the at an atomic scale. So an electron is just trying to go along its merry way down, you know, the uh, you know, the the path on the circuit board, and it gets hot, and all of a sudden the road's shaking all over the place, and it's veering and hitting on the gas and coming off the gas. You know, it's it's very wasteful. But if you can stabilize the road, make it you know nice and cool on the chip level, the electron can get to where it needs to go without using as much energy. And so, okay. Uh, you know, Brains puts out this piece of research and says, hey, these chips are very susceptible to temperature. It makes sense. They're a smaller chip. They're more susceptible to vibrations. You know, it's the difference between, okay, I'm going to be on an eight-lane highway that's shaking back and forth versus, you know, I'm going down, uh, you know, a little cobblestone street in, in, in Rome, mm -hmm. right? You know, like I'm, I'm trying to squeeze through because it's a tinier chip. You're much more susceptible to vibrations. So how can we reduce heat? Well, I mean, you could, you know, immersion cool these things. You can, uh, you know, feed it liquid nitrogen. There's all sorts of things you could do to keep it cold. But one way that people don't often think of is if I run less power through this chip, yeah. there's going to be less heat, yeah. right? I'm reducing the, the heat density because I'm reducing the power density. So if you use less power, uh, it's more stable from the electron's perspective, which means it should get more efficient. And so um, you know, 
brains was doing this with like a, you know, stock clocks and overclocking. It's like, well, what if that concept holds downwards as well? So what if we could make it more efficient? Yeah. So that, that's just, you know, a first principles, you know, what we're, and uh, we, we tried and it, it seemed to work. And we, we ended up getting four miners of PDU at this legacy site because, you know, we, um, yeah, we were able to, to reduce the, the power going through each individual yeah. machine, makes, makes a more stable environment <laughs> on a per chip level, and you get more efficiency. So if you think about your site as, uh, okay, I have, you know, X power coming uh, to this site and then the Y output, you know, your hash rate, um, you just need to stuff it with more machines, but then you're getting more incremental hash rate for the given power draw which means your yeah. margins improve. So it, it's better to think about it in terms of, hey, how can I get more money out of, of a, a respective site than how can I get the most hash rate? You know, during a bull run, uh, I mean, if Bitcoin goes to infinity, you can afford to mine at any price. So you just want every hash you can get. In a bear market, you want the most efficient builds. So you want to overclock in a bull run, underclock in a, excuse me, overclock in a, bear market yeah um so now that opens up this whole possibility what if you can have these flexible clocks that respond to network difficulty and hash price uh maybe you know your ambient temperature so you can start to get pretty sophisticated in, in thinking about how all these things are affecting your, your net profitability um but anyway yeah. maybe i've said too much but but go ahead someone else talk i don't think you said too much this is fascinating reed do you have anything to add to that It comes out of necessity, right? Uh, I mean, for me, you know, the, the, the four miners per PDU at a legacy site, I was like, oh, come on, man. Like, seriously? Like, how do we do that? Um, I'm a visual person, and that's where all these maps came out and said, okay, well, let, let's look at what this machine does systematically, right? And, and is there a sweet spot? Is there some way to quantify this? It's easy to kind of pick and choose things, but if you don't have like a good roadmap to it, the data doesn't really mean anything. Okay, glad you got to underclock. It's more efficient, cool. Is it the best way to operate? And the answer is not really. So if you can find this channel, so we found that there was a point, if you underclock too far, it wasn't as efficient. There was a kind of a de minimis point of saying, here's kind of this area that works better. And that's kind of the range that we want to operate in. I think that's true on the high side as well. We're still, I'm still going through step-by-step step on the, um, the overclocking side. It's a little bit different, but not that much. Same concept is that there is kind of this, this channel where it works the best. And that's, you know, using the kind of cars and lights analogy is that you don't want to have too fast of a car because then they, the, the lights are going to be out of sync. You kind of want to have them in sync and that's going to be the best place regardless of whatever volt frequency um, combination you have in the most efficient band. 
Yeah. So, so just kind of, kind of leapfrogging one, off one of that. Thing. Oh, to oh, yeah. to Isaac's ahead. point, that the just mapping things out is only the first layer. You can continue that in saying, what machine mix do you have? And you just keep on layering machine over machine over machine. And then you start to get the shifting map and saying, this is how I want to do it. And if you have two different power mixes, for example, site one and site two, you can start optimizing how you want to place your machines and at what watt per terahash. So it gets a lot more... You know, that, that's essentially what we're working on, uh, is how can I use this fourth dimension of the machine's capability, and how can I make a good decision off of it? That's essentially where it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> so we're at, like, the, like, even though ASICs have come very far, and are extremely advanced now, producing a lot of hashes, getting more and more efficient. On the management side, it seems like we're still in the Stone Age or the Bronze Age where we're figuring out. Like It seems like what you guys are describing paints the potential for like a crazy integrated system that yeah. like in the future there will be processes and software that basically, like Isaac, like you mentioned, will look at difficulty and hash price at any given point in time and then manipulate the operation to be as efficient as possible from a profitability perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that sounds wonderful, except then you need to figure out uh, how to calculate uptime because it starts to (laughs) (laughs) because you've got your hat like, Oh, well our target hash rate was this at this time and something else another time. It's like, okay. uh, You know, and and most people they're, you know, saying, okay, this was our uptime. I expect the machine to produce this much hash rate. I expect my power bill to be exactly this every month. And it's like, okay, now we're going to just, you know, mess up. uh, Yeah. The the account. Well, at that point, you just change the KPIs, right? Like maybe optimal hash rate production per machine isn't the right KPI. Maybe it's profitability per machine. And if you've, you sort of yeah. target profitability sure. over um, optimal or not optimal, profitability would be optimal hash rate, but uh, uh, as much hash rate as possible. Maybe that's something the industry should should move toward. Well, you know, and you have to kind of consider macro conditions in too. It's like, depends on when you bought your machines, right? Like, did you buy at the top of the bull market at $100 a T? Or did you, like, do you have cash right now? And are you buying machines at $15, $20 a T? Right. You know. Well, and and, and here's one of the implications of, of, of this, you know, from, uh, you know, minor allocation standpoint, like, you know, what do you want to buy? I mean, you know, today, uh, like an XP goes for about $6,000 and S19J Pro is going for about 1600, 1700, right? So what if, uh, what if you can underclock an S19J Pro and get not quite as good, but get comparable efficiency to an XP, very similar. Are, do you want to spend 6000 to get that level of efficiency? Or do you want to spend you know, $4,000 to get something of comparable efficiency and comparable hash rate? 
Yeah. Uh, and, and now the downside is you need two rack spaces instead of one rack space. But presumably you could, uh, you know, get that rack space for less than what the difference is, uh, you know, which would be $2,000. So in terms of, hey, what machine are we going to buy? Uh, you know, it, you know, if you use techniques like this, it can unlock, um, you know, capital allocation in a way that you may not have looked at. So, yeah, it, it's just about saying, you know, intuitively, what is each system capable of and how can they integrate well? Because, yeah. uh, you know, someone who isn't using this kind of, you know, firmware take and they just want the best efficiency, they're going to buy the XPs. But if you can, you know, kind of use this firmware hack. Uh, you know, then you can get that for, for less, right? And that, that's what it's all about, doing more with less. There's going to be whole teams dedicated to figuring out like, the, the correct capital allocation, rack space. Yeah, because there's, so there's so many variables. Yeah, rack correct. space, electricity cost, hash, terahash per machine. It's, <laughs> it's insane to think how complex... Is it complex? Yeah, it's complex. It's a complex system. Like how complex this is it going to get, and how how much brain power is going to be dedicated? Like you're going to have a whole like trading desk trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah, you know, or, or or Chat GPT. You know, we'll, we'll see. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask Chat GPT. Yeah, make sure you ask it in the right way. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't be surprised within a few years, one of these AIs, Zayo, you're able to be like, "Hey, here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to fine tune for." Yep, what's, yep. What's Mine GPT trademark. You know, <laughs> but that's kind of the the thing of where you like. This is the difficult part, right? Is that do I buy more rack space? Do I buy more power capacity? Do I buy more machines? Do, like it's all a process and it all has to kind of work in this, this, um, flywheel, um, sequence, right? Like you can't have more of one thing and then not have the other. Otherwise you get, you know, kind of behind the eight ball and you want to make sure that, you know, you, you might go make deals that you don't like or, or something else. But, if you kind of use this as kind of a tempering mechanism saying, what is rack space really worth? Right now, containers, rack space, it's cheap because nobody's buying them. But the long-term value of them, I personally, I think it's se severely undervalued right now. Rack space is severely undervalued right now. Yeah. I and mean, what you're getting at is that like, these decisions are dynamic. They, they're changing yes. with every block that's produced with every every tick of the the price moving up or down like so you have to have the ability to make the correct decision in a dynamic way on the go depending on the market conditions yep and and i think eating smaller steps so instead of saying i got to go build a 100 megawatt facility it might be Hey, I'm going to make these decisions in smaller increments, and and have the ability to do so, um, and then kind of roll it in smaller chunks. Which actually, did, if you take a ten thousand foot view, de-risks a lot of those decisions. I think. 
Yeah, that's one thing I've become partial towards over the last two years is I think these mega mines are not going to be the wisest way to build out a mining operation moving forward. I think taking off smaller 5, 10, 20 megawatt chunks at a time makes much more sense. Yeah, I mean, no problem with trying to go get 100 megawatts worth of power capacity, but like the infrastructure and what goes into it and like when you buy machines, how you buy, uh, buy machines, and then you start filling into it, I think that process should be, I don't want to say compressed, but kind of like concurrent. Yeah, it's really hard to say I'm going to buy 20,000, 30,000 S19s a year and a half ago. Yeah, you have to develop like a just-in-time process, right? Where as soon as the electricity is up, the rack space is up, and you're able to plug in, you should have that project management set up where, all right, as soon as we electrify, uh, we, we are plugging miners in. I, I think that uh, the the underclocking play is going to have um, I, I think it'll have outsized effects on profitability relative to a more distributed model. And what I mean by that is, if if you look at uh, at a mine that's on grid, you know, one of these mega mines, right? They sort of have. Uh, no penalty necessarily. I mean, every site's different, right? Sometimes you have a minimum offtake, what what have you. But if you say, all right, well, I'm allowed to reduce how much power I pull from the grid without penalty, then in a bear market, when hash price drops below whatever point the, the stock firmware machine would go unprofitable, well, what if, hey, I can underclock now, increase the efficiency on a per machine basis, I'm reducing my overall power use, but I'm still profitable as a site. That doesn't quite work the same if you're off-grid because in that situation, if you're renting a generator or you've purchased a generator, you already have your, you know, you already have that as a payment, right? Like, and that doesn't change. It's sort of like commit buying a generator. You can think of it as having committed to a minimum offtake agreement. I'm going to buy exactly this much power, and it, it, you know, it's pay or take, if, if you will, right? So you're committed to using whatever the capacity of the generator is. So in that context, sure, you can make the machines more efficient, but if you're using less power, you're just underutilizing something you've already paid for. So it may not make sense unless you can somehow pull generators off, or maybe you could bring another container on, on site and you know, there we use, go. use more of the generator, right? So it's, it's more sophisticated. You can still use it. It's just it requires more playing with the physical infrastructure. An on-grid site, they can pu- push an underclock, and they just stop using as much power from the grid, and their their you know margins are improved on a you know on a per watt basis. So, yeah, a little bit of nuance there. Yeah, yeah. Now we're dovetailing into like Bitcoin mining, changing the game of these PPAs, how they're structured. Yeah. What is allowed? Like going and educating utility side of the equation. Like, hey, we're going to do this weird thing that probably no other customer you have wants to do, but trust us, it's worth it in the long run for you. Yeah. I mean, in terms of integrating with utilities, I mean, that that's a whole other can of worms with with, with the firmware side of things. I mean, so right now, the way it works is if you want to, you know, 
participate in demand response, you're just turning off machines. I mean, that, that's how it works today. You suspend mining, or if you have a smart PDU, you just turn the miner off altogether. Um, but you're 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 basically keeping your same rate of efficiency uh, when you participate. So so if if you're you know let's say okay you know you're um, you know whoever manages the grid whether that's an RTO or a municipality whatever says hey we need you to turn off half of your uh, your power use is half of the miners get shut off and the other miners are still running at the same efficiency but what if instead you said okay I'm going to reduce my power use by half on a per machine basis. So during that curtailment, you just make all of your machines more efficient. So, so you're increasing your margins in that curtailment. That you, That's more money in, in your pocket. Juicing your margins, right? Because you're still right. mining with every yeah. miner more profitably, Correct. and then you're getting paid Correct. for turning down. Yep. Right. So, so that I, I think that's sort of where we're headed is uh, having dynamic tunability on a per miner basis. I, I think yep. that's going to create huge margin boosts for, for a lot of these on-grid sites. Yeah, That's going to be massive. Talk about Which is not even business. demand response, right? Like, well, it is a demand response, but it's not like a binary decision at that point. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a dynamic response versus a binary response. You're, oh, you're, you're scaling your hash rate up or down. And so you're, you're responding to the, you know, the request to curtail, but you're doing it on a per machine basis. And as you do that on a per machine basis, you're increasing your efficiency. So you get more hash rate out of the power you are allowed to consume at that time. So yeah, I, I, that's where we're headed. I think this is like some sci-fi shit here. <laughs> yeah. I, and half the time, you know, Reet and I have conversations like this, like, Hey, can, can we, can we do this kind of thing? Uh, I mean, one of the things that uh, I was, we've been talking about recently is, hey, what if we could be designated as like a virtual power plant? So we're a, a buyer on the per kilowatt hour market, oh and we're, we're a seller on the um, on the capacity market. And so you just, uh, you know, if the grid is asking for more power, you, you just turn off. You, have, you know, you don't even have a power plant on site. It's just direct tied to the grid and. You're, anyway, we have these crazy yeah. conversations and, you know, nine out of every 10 just die on the drawing board because it's just too nuts. But every now and then something comes through. You, you know, I'm just a simple miner. Let me mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what we're getting at. Like, yeah, mining is much more complex. And especially yeah, and if I, you want to be profitable and in it for the long run, like you have to have these types of discussions in, in this train of thought. And I, I think, you know, I, I'm really thankful for Reed. I think we make this really interesting team where I'm just sort of this cowboy, like, hey, let's just throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. And, uh, and you know, he, he tolerates me enough to hear me out and then will calmly explain why I'm just so wrong. And it, But every now and then he goes, well, wait a minute, maybe there's something there. And then, yeah, so yeah. sort of like, hey, can we look here? And then he just dives down on the, you know, like an electron microscope microscope and says, Hey, did you think about this? I'm like, Oh no, yeah. that nukes the whole idea. Never mind. And then we just continue on. But it's this yeah. sort of, uh, th yeah, this great interplay of I'm just pushing the envelope and he's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. And, uh, yeah. Well, Sometimes we, we fight like an old married couple about stuff, but we I'm always, not. yeah, it, it's great. <laughs> that, that's an understatement, but yes, yes. <laughs> uh, 
ideas have to be able to be executed. So when physics are <laughs> defied, then I will put my foot down. But, um, you know, it, when you get into this, I, I think there's so much potential in this uh, firmware space and unlocking the potential of, of the machines. I mean, that's just one step. Right, like, but you still have to make the uh, environment conducive. That's where Bitcoin comes into a physical, it, it, in contact with the physical world. So if you don't make the, the mining machines happy, they ain't going to work for you. So, you know, we can do all this, this fun stuff, but like as part of uh, what we wrote, like I could have the same volt frequency, uh, you know, uh, on the graph, so to speak. Um, but if that temperature is way up here, doesn't matter, right? And that's that's controlling your environment. That's making sure that everything kind of works in concert in the way that you you've hopefully designed the system. Yeah, that gets to another point. Like with all these efficiency gains and the games that you play with voltage and stuff like that. It's going to be hard to tell because enough time has not passed yet, but do you guys have inclinations on what this will do for the, the life cycle of these ASICs? You underclock them. It's, uh, I don't have the back data, but my gut instinct is, uh, it will, you know, expand the life of that machine. As long as you don't have, you know, dust going in and, and mucking it up, like. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a very simple concept. You know, take care of, of your things and they last a long time. Uh, it, you know, it's very simple. T take care of it and then figure out what it needs to run well. Um, I, I mean, I just as a, you know, first principle concept, I, I look at the, you know, the S9. You know, when Brains came out with this great firmware, it was an underclock, right? But that extended the whole life cycle of an S9. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I think what we'll see is that trend will continue with, with lots of other miners where underclocking pushes it into a more efficient regime and then you can afford to run it longer. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I yeah, I think it'll change. Yeah, it'll, it'll change a lot. Yeah, it's crazy to think that the average life cycle of an ASIC before the S9 was like 18 months now. People are still mm -hmm. running S9s today, seven, yeah. eight, year, eight years almost later. Yeah. I mean, but now they've modded it to a double shoebox, like one power supply for two, like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, looking at um, looking at what Bitmain did with their S19, I, I really re respect sort of their take because you look at the thing. It's like, why does this have two plugs? And then if you think about it, it's like, well, they've got their own minds as well. And all of that infrastructure, and including their customers too, right? It's all designed for S9s. And you say, okay, I'm going to double the power use on a per machine basis. Am I going to put, put a bigger plug? Am I going to put that C19 plug and make everybody gut their mine and, and rebuild all of their electrical infrastructure? Or am I going to put two plugs and anytime you pull out one S9, 
or sorry, you pull out two S9s, you can put in one S19, it fills the same space on the rack. It works electrically, right? And so thinking, I, I, I think, um, I think manufacturers are starting to think more and more about the infrastructure side of this. You know, where are they going to plug? Where are these things going to go? And and again, that gets back to the concept of, of loving your neighbor as yourself, right? It's like, you know, where is this going, and and how can it be used well? Um, I mean, Bitmain coming out with these new three phase power supply. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, PS. Uh, I can't talk. Yeah. Uh, PD, PDUs. Um, yeah, I, I think that's going to be game changing for, for a lot of folks, right? Because when you build out this this mine, uh, you don't necessarily have to do the same amount of work. You know, pulling all the phases apart, you can just deliver the three phase right to the PDU, and then it gets you know the splitting up gets taken care of at that level. Um, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Where it's thinking about how it all works together, it's going to become more and more important. And to that point, just due to like the limits that the ASIC industry is beginning to brush up against. Do you think on that side, the PSU PDU side, we've reached like a point of commodification where you don't have drastic changes from one model to the next? It's everything is size really. I mean, you can make these really big, big things, more amps, more, you know, it's going to be really interesting in where, how the power side is going to to occur for these machines, whether or not they're going to be like, hey, we need bigger and bigger PSUs on these things. If that's the case, we're kind of at the the standardized plug limits already. Um, can't do it. So one thing that you can do is go to three-phase power. Um, you will need to modify your your farm a little bit for that, but I mean, I can still use 14 gauge power, sorry, 14 gauge wire and push 8,000 watts through it in three phase. So. So yeah, sort of I reaching mean, that point, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, what are you going to do? Put a put a dryer plug on a miner? I mean, where would you put it? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, there's just, we're, we're reaching sort of the limits of what, uh, electrical engineers had thought up for, for quite a long time. I mean, Bitcoin mining is pushing the yeah with these um, you know the, these specialty in industry, right? Um, like like they're just there is not a computer plug. Uh, I mean, maybe the L7, but like in general, you know, the C19 is your limits, 20 amps, right? I mean, if you want to go bigger than that, uh, I mean. I, if you want to go higher voltage than that, then you start reaching problems with, you know, arcing, uh, which is why everything is rated 250 volts or less, right? That's a, you know, an electrical standard. Yeah. So um, when you start to say, hey, I want to increase the voltage for efficiency, or hey, I want to put more more amps through, you're reaching the limits of, uh, you know, what's permissible under electric code. Like there just isn't a plug that can handle these things. So you have one of two options. Either you put you know, as these chips get more and more power hungry or, you know, they're putting more chips on a board as they yeah. get more efficient. Um, you know, if you want to use more power on a per machine basis, you've got to go three phase. You've got to start doing direct wiring right into the unit. There is no plug, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. The, the other way to handle it is you just put less chips per machine and you keep the power, um, 
you know, the, yeah. the, the, form, the form factor the same, right? Because of the limitations in, in electrical code and, and like what's physically possible. So I, I think you'll start to see, um, I, yeah, I, I think either you'll start to see more three-phase stuff come to market or you'll see people using the same sort of power form factor and they just put less chips. Yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> you two are so fucking smart. Thank you for the education you've given me uh, over the years that we've worked together. I think you guys, the two of you, Austin, Tom, have really yeah. helped level up my knowledge of this space. It's crazy. But we've, you know, and, and that kind of boils down to the fundamental thing. Like, the team matters, right? If you have a lot of people or good people to to kind of collaborate with and educate and kind of lean on, you're yeah. golden. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, it's it's – it's staying humble and working hard. And, you know, part of being humble is, is listening. Uh, just recognize yeah. that, hey, you never know where the best idea is going to come from and just being open to it. No, I think that's something yeah. you've done really well, Marty. I think that's why you're uh, such a captivating, uh, you know, uh, uh, podcast host. You know, it's like you just, you you you, you know where to, yeah, you, you know where to let people just run when, uh, when they want to go all crazy. So I don't know. Well, I don't think it's crazy at all. Thank you for the hosting compliment, but like, no, I, I'm being earnest here, like talking to you guys is multi-hour long phone conversations, trying to understand what the hell you two are working on. <laughs> significantly <laughs> up to my game well, personally. I mean, I, I assure you, like w we feel that way most of the time. So it, it's not a, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I, you know like, there's so much of this stuff that is uh, like, you know, a master electrician, you know, they'll, they'll spend their whole life devoted toward understanding all these crazy nuances, uh, yeah. you know, harmonics and, you know, you know, phase shifts and, uh, you know, there's all this stuff, right? It, it's a very, uh, you know, sort of enshrined discipline and, and you, like, you know, networking and data management, you know, uh, you know, you know, network security, HVAC systems, you know, structural engineering and welding. Like there's all of these crazy disciplines that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining pulls on right down to economics and, you know, political theory. I mean, there's all of this stuff that like, just gets sucked into it. And so you're never bored, but, um, but often overwhelmed <laughs> and, and feel like the stupidest person in the room. But it's just a matter of, you know, I, I, I often describe Bitcoin mining as just, uh, you know, just, enduring pain you're just like hey i'm gonna just uh yeah that's why i say you got to stay humble if you got yeah yeah it's very masochistic it's, well <laughs> it's not it's it's always listening i mean you say stay humble stacks ads the stay humble is is listening to your environment listening to the uh, li listening to the market, listening to what is needed to make this ecosystem thrive. And so, like I said, I'm not an expert. I am. I just know what has caused me pain, right? And 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 that just keeps on stacking and stacking and stacking. So I can say, hey, I know that you want to go this direction, but really, what you want to do is go this way. Yeah. 
don't don't make the same mistakes that we did. Or hey, by the way, there's a pitfall right in here. It seems like a good idea, but it's not. And, and that's just experience. So the more people we can get in here to get that kind of experience into this, like I'm an open book. I, I, I'm happy to bring more people in. That's that's what's going to accelerate adoption and just make this ecosystem work. Would it be, I mean, would, would it go too far to say that like Bitcoin mining as an industry, considering all the different variables and core competencies it, it pulls on could incite like an engineering renaissance? Wow. That, okay. That yeah, is, I, um, I could. Well, I, b because what, what Bitcoin mining is doing currently is it's disrupting the idea of a specialist. Because if you just have a, an, an electrical engineer specialist and an HVAC specialist and a you know data networking specialist, I mean, sure, you could go get all those specialists and get them in a room together. And then like, it's going to take a while, right, to, to yeah. get everybody on the same page and what you want to go build together. Because there's a lot involved in these, in these sites. Or you can have somebody that has basic competency in, in each of those respective areas, and they sort of they're they're more like a conductor than than a musician, right? They allow each of the specialists to do what they're really good at, and and they they have an understanding of of, of the other disciplines, right? And so I, I think Bitcoin mining is bringing back the Renaissance man. You have to know a little bit about a bunch of stuff if it's going to work well. And it's great yeah. to have specialists in your court, but a specialist, you know, uh, on their own is not going to be able to make a, uh, a a good mine. I think the specialist is absolutely there, but it's easy, especially to say if you're a civil engineer, you're going to talk to some other civil engineers. You're not really going to talk to the the other guys, and if you do, it's through a consultant or through some manager, project manager. I think having a diverse skill set team is very important, especially if you have a lot of different experts in the uh, from those fields. But you need to make them to work together towards a common goal. And if everybody, well, I mean, hell, if you believe in Bitcoin and everybody believes like that's the future, then you already have a common goal in mind. It's just about working together at that point. So yeah. if you can kind of unite around the progress um, platform, absolutely. I think you can have a lot of different disciplines working together and, and, and as they do already, but more integrated in that way. Yeah, fuck, I'm bullish. Uh, Always has have been. We've yeah. never lost that bullishness. No, no, but it's again like sitting down and putting this all together. Like the random Bitcoin mining could be, bring back the Renaissance man in the engineering sector. Like you have to, like you said, I really like the conductor analogy. Like you have to be able to understand how the different parts interact with each other. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're always playing the same song, you know, every week, week in and week out, 
you know, uh, eventually you don't need the conductor, right? Because the musician just sits there and they're doing exactly the same thing off the same piece of sheet music. It's like, it doesn't change. So you go, okay, well, we don't need the conductor. But once you start changing the song and like you, you uproot the, the, the status quo on the kinds of engineering you're doing, because it's very dynamic. There's lots of systems at play here. And so when, when, you know, once you start doing that, you need the conductor back to, to keep everybody in sync. Otherwise, it's just a mess. <laughs> uh, I think I think this uh, I think this rip is going to be very popular amongst the mining industry because I, again I, I think a lot of people like have a, a rough idea about all these problems you guys are describing and as you said you're yeah. not experts but I think the experience that you two have uh, goes far beyond a lot the individuals in the space. I think that, I, I, I mean, we saw that too when you guys launched the thread on um, the research that you did on the underclocking. The response to that was like, holy crap, I can't believe somebody did this. Thank you for sharing it. I guess that's another thing to touch on. Like, why share this? Isn't this alpha? Um, shouldn't you hold this close to the chest? That was some of the feedback from the thread. You know, <sighs> We thought about it in that way, but it, I think it's hard for, if you're trying to promote this Promethean existence, like you, you want to share the platform to do it. I'm not telling you how I did, uh, like how I'm writing my own algorithms or all, all that. You need to go put in the work. Sometimes it's just about showing, hey, here's the possibility, right? I'm not perfect. I might have blind spots, but I would, I would respect the guy who uses that as the platform to say, hey, I looked at it in a different way. How about this? And if he shares that too, then it, it perpetuates that, that cycle of sharing, Mutual, mutual progress. I mean, that, that's how a renaissance happens. You need to get people talking. Yeah. And if everyone's, you know, covering their butt with proprietary jargon and, and, and patents, I mean, the, the industry won't move forward, right? Um, I mean, like, I remember, uh, you know, when I first got into mining, I mean, there were no YouTube videos. There were no tutorials on, on how to build these things. It was just like, okay, I got to just... Google a bunch of random stuff that sort of has proximity to what I'm trying to do. And I mean, that I remember back when I was building GPU rigs, like there was just no information on this stuff. It was just a lot like just sheer pain, banging your head against the wall day in, day out for months before even like before I figured it out. And there were a lot of people in the space who had built before and, you know, they, they were showing people how to, how to build these things. I mean, you know, Go right back to Satoshi himself. You know, he put it, made it open source. He put it out into the public domain. And said, "Here, guys, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to build. How can you help me make it better?" Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, that's really the spirit of of a Bitcoiner is we're gonna build a better world together. And to do that, you know, you can't always be worried about oh, someone might be trying to stab me in the back. Like, you know, but part of this is hey, we're all in this together. You know, as as Bitcoiners, and we're gonna optimize and build better together. So yeah. 
Um, and and it, it's just about staying at the tip of the spear. It's about saying, look, we're, we're going to uh, be thinking about these hard things, thinking about these problems and, and try and be among the first to adopt the, these novel techniques and, and technologies. Yeah. And if you just are constantly staying there, everybody improves while you do well. And, uh, you know, that, that's a better world. That's how you build a better tomorrow. Hell yeah. We're going to win. Always. <laughs> what, uh, together we win. This is true. Yes. What, uh, what should we send the freaks off with? Any final thoughts? Anything you guys want to touch on before we wrap up here? Just test, just, just work on stuff. If something interests you, it's possible. It's, you might not know how, but that's part of the process. So, you know, there, there are a lot of resources, a lot of parallels that you can draw. I mean, I, I got my hot tub heating loop from a wood boil, boiler stove idea, right? Like, okay, okay, that's the way I should design it and, and go from there. So there are a lot of things that you can borrow from. Just share. You know, I, I like the idea of sharing uh, on some of those ideas and just go test it. I want other people to, to have this, this graph and make their own graphs so that it's like, oh, well, they did it a different way. That knowledge sharing, I think, is, is, is what I want to see out of that. Yeah, I, I would say um, all hard work yields a profit. And sometimes it takes a while, but there's, um, there's something that comes from excellence in, in, in any discipline. If you do something well, you will, um, you will inevitably discover areas that are urgently involved. And it's just about staying curious and saying, hey, you know, what are the things that interest you? Uh, and saying, uh, even if it's 15 minutes a day, I'm going to just walk in this direction because I'm fascinated. And it's just, you know, I, I remember my first GPU rig, uh, you know, I, I tried and tried for a couple months. I couldn't quite get it. You know, I, I was teaching myself how to build a computer here. And uh, I, I, I remember I stopped for a couple of weeks and I just remember thinking, no, I decided to do this. I decided I was going to figure it out. And I went back to it and I finally got the thing going. And like, th there's nothing so sweet as, wow, like this was so hard and I got it. You know, yeah. I, it, it's like, you know, this, you know, I, I think about who's the first guy that made fire and like how crazy that must have been. Like I did it. I figured out how to do this. Right. Think about how long that must have taken. Like, the, like the, literally there's no YouTube tutorials. There's no one like the, somebody had to go figure that out for the very first time. <laughs> you know, and like that, that's hard. And, and each one of us has this, this sort of personal journey. You know, I, I've got, I've got two young boys and there's just this like crazy light in their eyes when they figure out how to do something for the first time, you know, like, Oh, I figured out how to turn the light switch on on my own. Oh, I figured out how to unlock the front door. Oh shoot, mommy, uh, please. You know, like that, but still there's this, this, there's this beauty um, yeah. in that. And so it's just work hard and, you know, stay curious and don't, um, you know, the future belongs to those who believe in their dreams. So just don't give up. And Marty, thank you for what you do and, and giving people like us a voice, right. And being curious about what, what's going on because you above anybody else understand that 
it takes so many different people from so many different disciplines to make this all go forward. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that was beautifully put by both of you. And the thanks goes both ways. It's been a net benefit, massive net benefit to my life working with you guys and learning about all this stuff. And I'm extremely happy. I can't believe it took this long to get you guys on the show. I know. I'm extremely happy that it has finally happened because I think there is going to be a lot of aha moments for, for people in the mining industry listening to this. And like you said, again, Bitcoiners giving back, uh, really trying to live close to the ethos that Satoshi set forth when he launched a protocol is what's going to create this cascading effect. I do think, particularly in the mining industry, there is a bit of um, keep things close to the chest. That's your alpha. But I, I think mm. considering the enormity of the problems that we're trying to solve, I think this will have a positive feedback loop, sharing this information and really putting this out there. So thank you gentlemen for doing it. Pleasure. <laughs> yep. Yep. We, we, we're in it for the plebs. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, it's been fascinating. We'll do this again, I'm sure. Sweet. Awesome. It's not going to take five years this time. Um, <laughs> I hope not. Oh my gosh, has it been that long? <laughs> oh my word. I'm going to be all gray by wow. then if that, that ever happens. You'll be all gray and I'll uh, I'll be joining you in the bald crew. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bald is beautiful. It is. Don't it is. anybody tell you otherwise. <laughs> all right, oh. gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, gents. Cheers. Seriously, thank you. You guys are fucking crushing it. Hey, love you, Marty. Love you guys, too. Peace and love, freaks. It was was fun. Isaac, you want to get it? Oh, I got this here now. Peace and love, freaks.